Very good. It's time to for to eat our feast of the word. We'll ask for God's blessing first. Heavenly Father, may you bless this study and may it really become a a feast of uh, uh, of your word and uh, unpack your word. Let the wisdom and the, the, the spiritual nutrition enter our soul and help us to grow, to be more like Christ for your pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are studying the first Corinthians. It is about sanctification through the Beatitudes. Today is part 14, the issue of holy meal. I changed the title a little bit, okay? So I will change the thing for our website, okay? The issue of holy meal, the exclusiveness of fellowshipping with Christ, and the inclusiveness of fellowshipping with man. Okay, it's a little long subtitle, but it's necessary. Anyway, uh, we're studying the issue of sanctification, which is between justification and glorification. And uh, that's what we feel. We only feel the three. Justification, sanctification in the whole life, and glorification at the end of life. All right? But God has done a lot of things before, right? He has done election, predestination, and call. And then the rest is what we know. Okay? So overall, salvation is God's work. The Our part, the only part that we participate is sanctification. Okay? And the, the steps of sanctification has already been dictated by God in the uh, uh, Jesus' uh, Beatitudes, which is the laws of Christ. Okay? The laws of God, if you think about as its um, simplest form, is the Ten Commandments, all right? Decalogue. And the laws of Christ will be the Beatitudes. Okay? They are the um, core of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay? And uh, uh, God does this to our soul. Once he goes around, he give, inject the new life. It's like putting gold into a rock and liquid gold into a rock. And then as everything melts, then he takes away the rock. So the second round is take away the old life. And at the end, we're a new person. So it's like we're going through a bridge, going up and going down. Going up is having the new life, four steps. Going down is taking away the old life. So at the end, we are actually qualitatively different. Even though it's all about the kingdom. One is the kingdom opens, one is the kingdom gate closes behind us. So, um, Paul wrote all his letters in response to the first century church's growth. They grew by the eight steps, and then if you put all Paul's letters in, in groups of eight, it corresponds to this. And then Paul also wrote for the one church of Corinth, and about the eight group of people, each at different stage of life. And then he put them also, uh, he covered all of them and also in order. So today we're dealing with number six. Okay. The Beatitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Why when you're pure in heart you can see God? Because God cannot participate in your life too closely when you're not pure in heart. Because he will hurt you, because light and darkness do not live together, right? So the, the light will always trump over and destroy, vanquish darkness. So a sinner, for a sinner, the best thing God did is to hide behind the cloud. <laughs> He doesn't show his light directly. Okay? That is for our benefit. But when you have grown enough to the level of being pure in heart, he can be close to you. Okay? 
and uh, you can see your prayers answered more positively. You can see him participating in your life. You can see miracles. You see God's hand as if you see his face. Okay, so that's the step. And about, about this issue, Paul dealt with, um, well, two specific issues for the church of Corinth. Here is the roadmap. Overall, the church is a genuine church. They have relationship. They just need better fellowship with God. And then their problems, number one, pride is beatitude number one. And number two is toleration of sin is would be beatitude number two, right? Number three is uh, the litigation is the lack of meekness is beatitude number three. And number four, on sexual purity. Um, can you go to prostitutes after you become a believer? No, okay. Uh, should you get married? Well, you don't have to, but if you do, keep your marriage, all right? And then number three, is singleness okay? Is it good? Well, if you have the calling, yes, it's good. So those are all related with the hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then the, the fifth issue is on mercy, on eating meat sacrificed to the idols. For certain people, if that bothers their conscience, then you should have mercy. On them. These are called weak brothers. If you're a strong brother, it doesn't bother you. Think for others. This is having mercy on others, okay, because you know you still need mercy, right? And then that's number five. Today, number six, okay, number six has two issues. Uh, one is about payment for service. Last week, when we gathered, we talked about Paul describing about him and his team of servants of God. Does he believe that they have a right to be paid for their service? Yeah, he believed that he had a right. But did he use that right? No, he didn't. Okay, and why? Well, he insists on both sides. Number one, he has a right. Number two, he chose not to use the right because it's beneficial for this group of believers. Okay, and that was the last issue. Okay, it's... Um, uh, about purity in heart. He served with purity in heart. And today we deal with the same umbrella, purity of heart. But it's another issue on the holy meal. Holy meal is something you, you share in a religious institution like a temple. And uh, theoretically, you share with the God that that temple worships. Okay. So if a person in Corinth, which has many pagan temples. And the pagan temples have a lot of sacrifices or can have a lot of meat. Some of them they sell to the market. Some of them they serve in their temple. Okay. So should a believer of Christ go to a pagan temple and eat the holy meal there? Okay, That's the issue of the day. While he said, on eating the meat you bought on the market, which might have been sacrificed to the idols, he said that actually is a gray area. But on this issue, he's saying it's a black and white area. Okay, so let's see why. Okay. Verse 1 of chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. So they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the desert. In other words, buried six feet below. Okay. 
I don't know, it could be like six feet in the desert, but anyway, they died, in other words, okay? When Paul said, our fathers, he's talking about the Israelites, which our physical fathers are Paul, right? He was a Jew. However, he was talking to the Gentile believers in the church. In what sense <clears throat> are the Israelites <clears throat> our fathers? Well, you need to think about it this way. Israel was the people of God for the visible kingdom, the Old Testament period. Okay? They are not all spiritual, right? Some of them are believers of God, somebody are not. Okay? But when Jesus Christ came, those who are spiritual Israel, they believed in Christ and they became Christian. They are Jews physically, but they are Christians spiritually, right? And these people have the Holy Spirit. And because the Gentiles who believe in Jesus have the same Holy Spirit, so in that sense, the overall universal church, that's a collection of all born-again believers, okay, be they Jewish or Gentile, we are the extension of the spiritual Israel. Physical Israel is here. Spiritual Israel is there. Spiritual Israel got extended because of the Holy Spirit, and that's us. You see? So the church is the extended spiritual Israel. It is not a replacement of the physical Israel. We didn't replace the Jews. The church didn't replace the Jews. Actually, we shouldn't be, because the Jews are on the physical plane. We are on the spiritual plane. Why do you want to lower your standards? Right? So the, that's why replacement theology is wrong. Not only wrong for the Jews, but also wrong for the church. It's a degradation. It's not an elevation. So when you say our fathers understand it this way, the church, in a sense, is the new Israel, but only as the elevated or extended spiritual Israel. And he says, they are all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, this is a similarity to us being baptized into Jesus. So in a sense, the Israelites were baptized into Moses. Moses representing the old covenant, Jesus representing the new covenant. Okay? So they all went through something like baptism. We do it literally, baptism. Okay? What does baptism mean? You die with Christ and you rise with Christ. So you are saved because you died with him. Your sins are paid. He died for you and you died with him. Okay, But you didn't just die. You also are resurrected. right? Because he's resurrected and you have his resurrected life. Okay, His life lives in you. Our old life died. His life lives in you. So that is what baptism means. And did Israel go through something like baptism? And Paul said, yeah. In a spiritual sense. Because when Israel came out of Egypt, what did they experience? They were chased after the, you know, by the Pharaoh's armies, and they were faced a Red Sea. What do they do? Well, they did nothing. They prayed. And actually, Moses prayed, and then God opens the sea, right? And then they, they walked over, and then the sea came back in, and then drowned Pharaoh's forces. So... Um, that going through the Red Sea is, in a sense, being baptized. Because they are, well, they're supposed to die in the sea, right? 
but they didn't die. And they came out of the sea. Isn't that like death and resurrection? Right? So we see similarities, not only in spiritual sense, but even in the dates. You see, God set this up so that it become undeniably similar. Okay? Um, the Exodus happened on Nisan 15th, the first month, 15th day, 1446 BC, which was the Passover, the first Passover. And it happened to be a Friday. I checked it with astronomical uh, softwares, and it was happened to be a Friday. Okay, and then that day meant Israel's freedom from slavery to the Pharaoh. Okay. By the way, the Israelites they use the lunar solar calendar. Do you know what that means? Lunar means related to the moon, the from new moon to new moon. Okay, so that's each month. And solar, it's a solar year, which is related to the seasons, related to planting and agriculture. So the lunar month is 29 and a half days. Okay. So if you have 12 lunations, you have 354 days, which is about 11 days shorter of 365 days. Okay. So what happens after two or three years? You got to add a month to make the lunar year synchronous with the solar year. Otherwise, you'll be really out of season. Your planting will have problem, right? So how many months do you add in order to make the lunar solar year? Um, well, lunar year and solar year, of course, agree with each other. You add you know, seven months in 19 years. If you do that, then these two kinds of years will basically agree. They differ only by two hours. <laughs> So it's a very, very good system. And who knows this system? Three cultures. The Babylonians, the Jews, and the Chinese. <laughs> and they're so apart. How do they know that? Well, they must have a common source. At the Tower of Babel, they had a common source. Okay? And then they all knew that. So um, for the Jews, for the Israelites, the same day means two things. Okay? Because they know, they know the lunar solar date, like Nisan 15th. They also know the weekday. Okay, so that's why they say Israelite came out of Egypt on the same day of the 430s year. So 430 years ago, what happened? Actually, is uh, Abraham came out of Ur on Nisan 15th, and I checked it. In that year, it was also a Friday. So, Friday, Nisan 15th became a pattern. It is uh, Abraham came out of Ur. So, because he was called by God, he's out of the, I guess, rulership of paganism, because God called him. And then Israel came out of Egypt, so they are out of slavery. Okay, And then what happened to the church? Jesus died for our sins. On what day? Friday, Nisan 15th of AD 33. It, remember, not every year it, it's on the same day, okay? It, this is lunar day. This flows. It happens on 1876 B.C., 1446 B.C., and A.D. 33. They just happened to agree. You see, God made it undeniably similar. And what happened three days later? Well, th three days after the Exodus, when they camped twice, 
Friday they came out. They camped Friday night, Saturday night. And what happened on Sunday morning? They crossed the Red Sea. Okay. Well, when Jesus was crucified on Friday, three days later, which is Sunday morning, the three days, three nights really is a part of the three days, three nights. Okay. Friday, you have an afternoon when he was buried until sunset. That's called Friday. Whole Saturday and Sunday morning before sunrise. Because Sunday starts from Saturday evening, right? So you have a portion of three days. So Jesus arrives after three days, three nights with a quotation mark. And then that was Sunday morning. And uh, it's um, Sunday, um, Nisan 17, just as the crossing the Red Sea. God made these days just match, and we can validate it with science, so that it's undeniably similar, and then they have typological meanings. One is a type of another. It's kind of like a, a, a hidden prophecy of typology. Okay. So, um, the, and the, when Israel came out of Egypt, they also walked under a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night, right? And that means God's presence. So, in a sense, the cloud and the sea, they are all water, so they are related to the baptism. Okay. Baptism of Christians meant to die with Christ, cutting with the sinful past, and to live with Christ. That means in holiness and in love. Love For how long? Forever. Okay. So, um, what happened to us now, what we experience? The Israelites sort of experienced before. Okay. And how about another thing we do? How many ordinances we have in the church? Is the Catholics call it sacraments because they think it's related with salvation. We don't use that word. We don't use sacraments, but we, we call it ordinance. What are the two ordinances the churches do? Protestant churches. Baptism, which is your initiation rite into Christianity. And then what's the other one that keeps you in? Communion. Okay. Yeah. So it did Israel, in a certain sense, take communion? Well, Paul said, yes, they did. Okay, All ate the same spiritual food. Israel was kept alive in the desert by the spread of bread of heaven, which is called manna. What does that mean? It means, what is it? Okay, When they came out and saw it, they said, what is it? Manna? Manna? And, and well, they just called it manna. Okay, what is it? Okay, because they can't explain it. Okay, and uh, in Psalm 105:40, it called it bread of, from heaven, and Jesus claimed to be the bread of heaven in John 4:61. So Christians at the communion eat the body of Christ, which is the bread of heaven. Okay, uh, in that sense, there's similarity. And also, the Israelites they all drank the same spiritual drink. So they were, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. What's it talking about? Well, remember Israel was kept alive by the living water that came out of a rock. And this twice in um, in the 40 years, Moses struck a rock. Once near the beginning, once near its end. So in that sense, the rock followed them. Okay. And the first time he was supposed to strike it, the second time he was supposed to say it, but he struck it nonetheless, and God considered him robbing God's glory, because people thought it was him who doing it, not God, right? So that's why he was forbidden from going into the promised land. But anyway, living water from a, struck, a rock that was stricken, 
Okay. Does this have similarity with Jesus Christ? What is Jesus called? The rock of salvation. All right. What was his body struck? Yeah, he was struck, beaten up, nailed. All right. So, um, yeah, his body was struck. And uh, was and um, who, who beat on him? Who struck him? Actually, him, himself. He gave himself up. If he has asked angels, God will send a, a, a battalion of them and just wipe out all the Romans, right? He didn't. He gave up his life. So in a sense, Jesus, as the new Moses, he struck the, the, the new spiritual rock, which is himself. Okay? And then through his body came out the living water. What's the living water? The Holy Spirit. And by the, drinking from the Holy Spirit, in other words, listening to him, to him, reminding us what to do and what not to do, we are alive. We run, a, we live a spiritual life. Okay. So, do you think similarity there? Definitely, there is a similarity. Yeah. So, um, the the let me see what where am I? Um, Okay, the, the living water was the Holy Spirit who was sent by God the Father and God the Son, uh, both, to live in us after the rock of salvation, that's Jesus, was struck by the new Moses, that's Christ himself. The Christians eat and drink the body and blood of Christ at the communion, similar to Israel eating manna and drinking the living water from the rock, and they are all pointing to one Savior. Right? If we see the similarity, then what is Paul's point? He's saying, okay, I know you guys are saved. You, you have, you're baptized. You have faith in Christ. Spiritually, you're saved. And you have been baptized with water and you are eating communion. So you are in the body of Christ. You're saved. Okay? But on the other hand, look at Israel. They sort of were baptized and ate communion. But they did not have the pleasure of God. Some of them. Most of the first generation. All but two people <laughs> died in the desert. Right? All who were over 20 at the time of Exodus died in the desert, except Joshua and uh, Caleb. Okay. And uh, why? Because they didn't have faith in God. They didn't please God. What did the Bible say is the way to please God? Faith. Okay. Hebrews 11.6. So without faith, no one can please God. So because the first generation didn't have faith, they have to die. And the second generation, they lived because they have faith. The second generation, did they see the miracle, the ten plagues and the crossing Red Sea? Actually, they didn't see. They heard and they believed. Right? What did Jesus say about people? He says, people who have not seen me but heard and believed will be blessed more or less. More. That's us. We heard about Jesus Christ. He died and resurrected. Okay, We believed. We have not seen, but we believed. And we are blessed more than those who have seen it. Why? Because when you see it, you don't need faith. Right? And those who didn't see it but still believe definitely have faith. Right? And faith is the only way to please God. So the, the old Generation had to die, the new generation lived. For us, our old self, or the fleshly self, must die. And our new self, the spiritual self, shall live. 
Okay, so he's saying, okay, the the so-called saved people are not always pleasing God, and some of them actually got punished for their sins, like Israel. Will you? Suffer under the same fate. Do you have to fall like the Israelites? What is his answer? No, you don't have to. Okay, so uh, he's saying, uh, do not crave evil things. First of all, uh, there are four of them. Okay, now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be uh, idolaters. So. Uh, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyers. So I didn't put them as one passage because there are four examples from the Old Testament. Paul listed four examples that all believers, OT Israel or anti-Christians, should not crave for. In other words, surrender for temptation. Okay. Number one is idolatry. The verse quoted, the people sat down and eat and drink and stood up to play. That's from Exodus 32.4. It refers to Israel making the golden ephod, then reveling around it. What does it mean? The Bible uses reveling. What does it mean? Okay. First of all, what is a golden calf? Golden calf or a bull is supposed to be the ride of Baal, the false god of uh, of Canaan. Okay, uh, what is the ride for our god? Does he have one? It's called cherubim. Okay, yes, he does. Okay, <laughs> but cherubim portrays the Christ. Another story. But anyway, the when they make a golden bull, which we have one on Wall Street. Okay. Okay. Supposedly, Baal rides it. Okay, he's there. Okay, and then the worship of Baal is to offer meat and fruit and so on, and then you revel around it. What is reveling? Singing and dancing, and possibly having sex in the open. Okay, joining the party in heaven. That's because of the Canaanite theology, believing that it was Baal and his wife. While they have sex, the rain become the clouds become rain. So, you, how do you have rain? You have sex in the open, so in heaven we'll have sex and then it's uh, have rain. So you have, the land will become the land of milk and honey. You see, it's a weird, twisted, and the wicked theology. But it justifies their desire to sin. Okay? That's usually the case. People choose their theology by their desire of sin. Okay? So... Uh, that's idolatry. It definitely is uh, is evil. So worshiping false gods means departing from the true God, like divorcing from the monogamous relationship. Is our God jealous? He is. Okay. He demands a monogamous covenant relationship with Him. You worship the true God, then no other gods. Okay. And number two is sexual immorality. Uh, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. This re probably refers to the Israelites unite physically with the Midianite and Moabite women in Shittim, the place, um, before they um, spiritually united with Baal or of Peor. This was recorded in Numbers 25. 
However, notice that uh, the, the Old Testament said 24,000 died. So here Paul says 23,000. And because of this small difference, some Bible teachers like John MacArthur Jr., uh, who was a more fundamentalist uh, pastor, and he would say this probably refers to the previous event at the golden calf. Uh, so uh, in that case, Moses ordered the Levites to kill 3,000 men. And he said, God, later God gave a plague. He didn't say how many people. Just assume 20,000 died, and then you have 23,000. It will be matching exactly. So no errors in the New Testament. Okay, that would be one option to go. It's possible, but I don't think the concept, the, 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 the situation really match. Because that's already said. Here are four examples. Each is different. This should be the other way. But then how do you deal with the difference in numbers? Can you tolerate the, 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 the apostles quoting the Old Testament in memory? Having a little difference in number, 23,000 and 24,000. Okay. I can tolerate that. I don't think that, that points to anything essential, right? Okay. And the... There are actually several other issues, uh, examples in the New Testament. When it quotes the Old Testament, it seems to be misquoting. Okay, I can I can find you two or three of them. Okay, Luke quoted the Genesis uh, five. He has one more generation than the real Genesis five because he was quoting the Septuagint. Okay, and um, Stephen said that. Uh, Abraham left Haran after his father died, but if you really count the, 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 the years, his father didn't die until 70 years after that. So, but the, the Samaritan Pentateuch changed the numbers and made uh, his father die in the year he left. Why? Because according to Eastern the, uh, ethics, a son should not leave his father until his father dies. So they want to make Abraham a moral person. So apparently Stephen was quoting the Samaritan Pentateuch. So, uh, and when Jesus says that the, the priest who was killed in, Zacharias was killed in the temple, he was Zacharias' son of something, if you read that, that will be the same as the Zechari Zacharias who wrote the book of Zechariah. But in the Bible, in, in the uh, second uh, Chronicles, it says Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, was killed in the temple. And uh, Jesus says, from Abel to Zechariah, which in the, in the Hebrew Bible is in the first book, Genesis, and the last book, which is the Chronicles. So it means the whole covering the whole Bible. So I think in those errors you need to give some tolerance. Okay. And if you're too rigid, I know people who are very rigid from very fundamentalist background turned out, was turned to be liberal. Okay. Bart Ehrman. He was raised up, raised up in a fundamentalist Christian family. Believing the Bible is inerrant in every way you can think of. And when people point out this to him, he lost his whole faith. And he became liberal. 
unbelievable. He's a he is wow, one of the best attackers on the Bible because he has a lot of knowledge. So think about it. Okay, the Bible is the truth. It gives us the truth in essence. Okay, in its meanings, in its spirit. Okay, the words, the original. I have to say, the original was inerrant. But you got to give some tolerance when the when the apostle quoting memory, when they quote from different versions of the Bible, and when the copiers will may change the the son of something because no. So it gives some tolerance. But overall, the Bible is the word of God that should not be compromised. However, you got to try not to be mechanical because that will make you vulnerable to be attacked. Okay, this is what I think. I think. Paul was referring to the shittim issue, and to avoid sexual immorality. Why? Because sexual immorality is the first step to spiritual immorality. The true God is holy and demands an exclusive worship. Therefore, true believers of true God promote monogamous marriage as the institution of family. That's one of the three institutions God set up on the earth, in addition to state and church. False believers of true God and true believers of false gods do not support the institution. Of, you know, monogamous marriage. Okay, and then、uh, the third example that we should not crave、uh, is complaining, which is in this context about、uh, against God, complaining against God, challenging His goodness. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. This refers to the Israelites complaining against God and Moses on the issue of food and water, and God sent、uh, fiery serpents. To punish them, when they repented, Moses made a bronze serpent so that those who look up and believe are saved. Okay, Jesus quoted it as a type for him being lifted up. Okay, so God guaranteed to supply His people with what they need, not what they want. Complaining never pleases God; it is a sign for the lack of faith. Faith and trust is what pleases God. Okay, and number four, we should not crave is that the grumbling. This, in this case, is grumbling against God-established leadership. In verse ten,、uh, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. This probably referred to the pro,、uh, Korahites challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron, claiming that all congregation are holy,、okay? and resulting in fire from heaven destroying the two hundred fifty rebel leaders and the, the earth opening up, devouring the Korahites who are Levites. And then the Reubenites,、uh, which are the main supporters、uh, of, of the Korahites, and thirty-seven thousand Simeonites, <laughs> who happen to live just around them. Isn't that sad? Simeon's、uh, the tribe dropped from fifty-seven, fifty-nine thousand three hundred to twenty-two thousand between the two um, um, censuses. So God set up imperfect people to fulfill His perfect goal. While positive criticism is welcomed,、uh, like Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses,、um, democracy is not the structure of the kingdom of God. Right? It is a monarchy. It's a top-down leadership. Okay. Now Paul says、um, we need to resist temptations. The point is that Israelite and the church—they all sort of baptize, all sort of、uh, have communion, but they 
Not all of them please God. Look at Israel. They fail. Should we fall too? Do we must fall? And Paul says, no, we don't have to fall. You are given better situation. So he said, resist temptation. Now, these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fail. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as in common is common to men. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptations will provide a way out, or a way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. The underlying passage is very famous. Many, many of us memorize it and rely on it. And, but very often we quote it out of context. But in this case, it is okay, because Paul's point is that you don't have to fall as they did. So yes, you can take this out of that context. Okay? And then since uh, certain evil things that our flesh crave may remove believers from fellowship with God, we need to watch out on the temptation from Satan, the world, and our flesh. Satan, through the world, tempts our flesh. Our flesh tries to influence our will, which is the center of our soul, to go with the flesh and not with the spirit. But we must always make it a principle. Follow the spirit. Our spirit now has the Holy Spirit and not follow the flesh, whenever there's such a confidence. Okay. So Christians do not have to fall as the Israelites did. We have the Holy Spirit, and God promised to provide a way out. When we resist temptations with the power of God, he will give us victory. Okay. Now let's go to the real issue that prompted this dissertation, the holy meal with Christ only. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to the wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we are partaker, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who ate the sacrifices share in the altar? Okay. So going to eat at the a holy meal at the pagan temple is having fellowship with the pagan god. It is idolatry. And it must be forbidden. Even the wise men, the so-called strong believers, they would recognize that idols are nothing. They need to be aware. Christians, through the communion, are fellowshipping with God, like Israelites who share the peace offering with God. What is peace offering? Remember, there are five major offerings. They are sin offering, goat offering, burnt offering, grain offering. And peace offering. Okay, the sin offering pays your debt to God. Guilt offering pays your debt to man. After those are done, you're prepared. You're ready to really restore a relationship to God. So, what's the first step of restoration? The uh, burnt offering means dedicate yourself to God, trusting in His judgment. He's just. Okay, and then the the grain offering is the only one without blood, but always with oil and salt. Okay, That means having the Holy Spirit and change your life to be light and salt. So it's sanctification. So dedicate yourself to God 
asking God for sanctification, and then He sanctifies you, and then you can have fellowship and peace with God. That's the the fellowship offering or peace offering. It's the only one that you share. The other parts you just give to God, and actually mostly to the priest. This the one the priest will eat a bite, and your family will eat it. In other words, they representing God sit on the table with you. So when you eat at a table with God, what have you become to God? Friends. Okay. We were enemies of God. We turned into citizens of His kingdom, then family members. Then now, finally, we can become friends of God. That's the highest goal man can become. Okay. So to share. In the meal, okay, having a holy meal is having fellowship as friend. But can you be friends both with the true God and with the devil? You cannot. You have to choose one side, right? So if you have been saved in Christ Jesus, then just be fellowship with Christ only. Take communion is is symbolic. You're 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 becoming friends. You know, eating at a one table with Christ, and then. Don't go to a holy meal in the pagan temple. That is fellowshipping with the pagan gods. So that's an absolutely not uh, for a Christian. So uh, we should have holy meal with Christ only. Verse nineteen. What do I mean then? That a thing sac、uh, sacrificed to idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the thing which the Gentiles sacrifice. They sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? So while the idols are nothing, which I already said before, they are human creation. They are not definitely not God. However, the demons, the fallen angels behind the idols, are real. Okay, so in a sense, the idols are nothing. You should be not afraid of them. But in the other hand, the demons behind them are real. While we should not be afraid of the the demons because we have a Holy Spirit greater than those spirits. But on the other hand, for those who have former life. Fellowshipping with the demons. Now they are Christians, but they have a scar in their life. Should you go peel their scars? No. If you are a strong believer, you should think for the so-called weak believer. Okay. So that's the point. Okay.、Uh, believers of Christ cannot share a holy meal, being in fellowship with both Christ and the demons. God is jealous. God and we are not stranger, stronger than Him. So, <laughs> what? Does it feel for a sinner in the hand of an angry God? Terrible. Somebody wrote a sermon about it. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards, right? One of our nation's spiritual fathers. Okay. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So the strong believers in Corinth think Christian life is about knowledge and rights. The weak believers think it's about law and safety, but Paul thinks it is about faithfulness and love. You see, those two kinds they divide because they are still thinking on the visible side, not the spiritual level. Okay, 
The strong believers think we have the knowledge. Idols are nothing. So I have the right to eat the meat. I don't care about its history. Are they right to a certain extent? Yes. Okay. The so-called weak believers, they uh, believe that the law should be respected and then it forbids eating food uh, sacrificed to the idols. It is for our safety, for their spiritual safety. Which, are they right to a certain extent? Yes. But the, the, the real thing you need to consider, what Christian life is, is about faithfulness to God and the love for others. Okay? That's spiritual thinking. Okay? That's Paul's teaching. Christians are not under the law. So, in that sense, all things are lawful. If you violate some laws of Moses, are you going to be judged by it in the eternity to come? No, absolutely not. Why? Because Christ took the judgment on us already on the cross. If you believe in Christ, then you are not under the law. And the so-called Christians who want to go back to the law, they're not nobler in morality. They are just falling away from grace. Okay, You're not under the law. The law is for children and for servants. We are sons. The sons are not ruled by the rules. We have the father's heart and his authority. Okay, So we are not under the law. In that sense, the Christians are above the law. Yes. So in that sense, all things are lawful. But on the other hand, Christians uh, are under grace. So they must be grateful to God and graceful to others. Whatever they do must be chosen to be profitable and edifying, not for self, but to others. So what do you choose to do when everything theoretically you can do? It won't, it won't be judged for it. But what do you choose to do? You choose to do those that are glorifying God and benefiting others. And uh, if you love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and soul, and strength, and love others as yourself, are you under the law? No. Nothing will judge you against that. Okay. okay. And uh, so that's now the specific policy Paul is giving. Eat and do not ask. Okay. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If, uh, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is said before you without asking questions for conscience sake. So, while having a holy meal at the pagan temple is absolutely wrong, eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols is a gray area. All things are God's creation and originally good. So when invited, eat and don't, do not ask. Okay? Okay? But, do not eat for conscience sake when you know. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? But once told that the meat has been sacrificed to idols, it's better not to eat it. Now this context is an unbeliever's heart. Okay? So you have to say, I'm not fellowshipping with the idols. Okay. This is for the sake of the conscience uh, of the host, not you. 
Okay? Conscience is the faculty uh, in our soul to discern what's right and wrong. Okay? It is the faculty closest to the spirit, strength is closest to the, to the body. Okay? So I have mind, heart, and will in the center, conscience is to the spirit, uh, close to the spirit and the soul, strength close to the body. Okay? The, uh, the conscience of a non-believer is seared because their spirit is dead. Not, not related to God, but it is revived for the believers after the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, uh, of our spirit by the Holy Spirit. However, it is not for the conscience of the self, uh, or a strong believer, but the host, okay, who is a non-believer in this case, and other weak believers. Okay? We are judged by God only. If I provide, partake with thankfulness, why am I uh, slandered concerning that which I gave thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all uh, things, not seeking my own um, profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. So Paul is a strong believer. He eats all food after giving thanks to God. He is not to be judged by man. Okay? He's saying, I am a strong believer. I eat all things, um, and um, after I pray and ask God to cleanse it and give thanks to God. And she says, I'm not going to be judged. My conscience is clean. You don't judge me. Okay. And then believers do all things for two goals. Number one is giving glory to God. Number two is making peace with men so that they may be saved. While we do not intentionally give offense to anyone, Jews or Gentiles, the strong or the weak, or today, the great, the, the, the straight or gay, whomever. You don't intentionally offend anybody. We don't do that. But on the other hand, each is responsible to God and to him alone. Okay? We are going to be judged by God, and we don't take judgment from men. Okay? And uh, um, finally, which is the next verse, uh, the first verse of the next chapter, it belongs to this section. In chapter 11, 1. Be imitators of Christ, of me, as just as I also am of Christ. Christ lived a holy life, yet he dined with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, as well as the prophecies, the Pharisees. He was all things to all men so as to save them. Paul was similarly all things to all men so that they may be saved. We should imitate Paul, the apostle of Christ, because he imitated Christ. We should be in union and fellowship uh, with the true God only, through Christ Jesus only. This is an absolute issue. However, when we are dealing with issues in our Christian freedom, think for the profitable and edifying things for others. Okay? For true Christians who love God and others, knowledge and rights serve faithfulness and love. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this uh, long and very important and, uh, chapter that has one simple me message, that we need to have purity in heart in the uniqueness, the, the only union and fellowship with you through Christ Jesus. We should not have, have fellowship, spiritual fellowship, with evil things, idols, uh, or demons. And uh, while that should be an absolute issue, on the other issues that are non-essential, 
we should think about love and uh, uh, and the um, profitability for other souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Before we sing our concluding hymn together, I'd like for you to uh, take your bulletin out. Deborah puts many useful items of information in the bulletin. I'd like for you to turn to the middle section, uh, announcements and information, and Christmas service. Christmas service is in red. So next Sunday morning... We'll meet at the regular time for our Christmas service, and it will be very special. We'll have the special Christmas message, scripture reading uh, by one of our members, Christmas carols, the children will be singing, and we will have a baptism. So please be sure and come and take part in that uh, great Christmas service. Also, remain afterwards for Christmas goodies and a fellowship time after the service. So let's stand now and conclude our singing together with verse 3 of Joy to the World. <clears throat> sins and sorrows grow, for thorns and fast the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Blessing of the Lord. May the love of God, the mercy and love uh, of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us to keep us uniquely bonded with Christ Jesus exclusively and inclusively fellowshipping with all men. In Jesus' name.